If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Come and check us out. Come and um, uh, join us and uh, enjoy a service and or indeed go to one of our campuses and connect if that's closer to you. Uh, we are starting and have started with Russ last week on a teaching series on prayer and, and the power of prayer. And, and I want to start off by just explaining something. Christianity is built upon prayer. We can't get away from that reality. Jesus started a revolution and that revolution came to change lives and to make a difference. It was a remarkable revolution. It was had the ability to be able to change the way we viewed things. Jesus's three years in ministry changed the face of this planet. Indeed it did. Don't forget that. And the, the, the force behind that changing power was the prayer that drove the revolution, the prayer which made the difference. 52 words that have changed the word, world is the Lord's Prayer. And as we, as we start to explore this, this revolution uh, created this ripple effect where it sort of bent reality. It bent the way that, that they viewed faith, religion. It was like he came into this world and where we thought of one thing one way 2,000 years ago, suddenly he changed things in such a remarkable way that you started to see a new vision a new picture of faith, relationship and religion and a new picture of all that God can do on this planet and the way that God can work. It's remarkable. I mean, Jesus was remarkable. I've, like many of you perhaps, have read uh, the history of ancient and religious leaders, whether it was Buddha, whether it was... uh, the prophet Muhammad, or whether it is the Hindu myths and tales and stories from India, or the Greek gods, I can tell you, having read through so many of those ancient stories, from from the Norse right the way to the East, from the writings of uh, Confucius, let me tell you something, nothing compares with the revolution of Jesus Christ coming into this world. Nothing compares to it. And I think we have to be confident in that reality that the power of Christ is the power to change this world and the power to make a difference. Revolution. Revolution, he appeared in three years. In revolution, he did the impossible. Um, he, you know, we see him in, in Mark chapter 6, walking on water, passing by, and then realising, who is this? Is this a ghost? No, it's Jesus Christ passing by them, walking on water, symbolising that he is God himself, carnate on this planet. The impossible. The revolution of going into a home with a small child there in, um, in Mark chapter 5 and, and, and she, is a, she is dead. The father is, is, is broken. He touches the little girl's hand and the little girl rises. This movement of revolution was about healing power. Whether it was a guy lowered through a roof Down, paralysed, sins forgiven, body heals, walks out carrying his mat. 
or whether it's a gentleman in a synagogue with a withered hand pointing out that actually in that culture that any sickness or withered hand meant that he had been a, a sinner. And, and Jesus grabbed his hand and his hand was completely healed. It was a healing movement that touched lives and hearts. It was a movement that ministered to the very lost. I love that story in John chapter 4, if you've never read it, of the woman at the well. Not only was she lost in her community, lost in a false religious uh, ideas, of the Samaritans, not only was she lost in relationship, having had many husbands, and the man that she was now living with was not her husband. Jesus came to her when she was alone at the well, because the other women did not want to go with her. She was lost. She was lonely. She was forsaken. She was messed up. And Jesus came and sat to this lost person and said, I come to give you life. I come to give you living water. And if you drink from me, you will never thirst. This is the revolution. It's a revolution that a tax collector like Matthew can be doing his work and, and conspiring with the, with the Roman authorities and seen as a con- conspirator and, and against all of the nation of Israel. Jesus comes and turns him into a great apostle. This is the revolution. He was lost in his money. Zacchaeus was lost in his money. This revolution is remarkable. This revolution has a core. This revolution has a challenge. This revolution has a commander. And when we think about this revolution, we must not forget one important thing. That the core of this revolution has always and will always be driven by the prayer of the saints and the move of God. It's prayer. In our lives that brings that change. It's prayer in our lives that brings that revolution. It's prayer that is at the core of who we are and what we should be. And a church that loses, a family, an individual that loses the sense of prayerfulness in our lives, loses that revolution effect of that intimacy between us and Christ. And Jesus gave us a prayer, a prayer that we're going to linger on and think about, a prayer that we're going to preach about and take every aspect of this prayer and exegete it and think about it and understand it. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer can be superficial. This prayer for many people is the only prayer they know. This prayer means a lot to people. It has affected lives. I remember being a young boy. You know, I didn't look much different from my Josiah. But when I was four or five or six, I was afraid and I would have uh, dreams at night. I don't know if you have children like this. And I'd wake up and I'd be all terrified and, and worrying and stressed dreams. And 
And I used to run into my mum's uh, room and, and, and jump into bed with my mum. And I was, said I was afraid. And although she never went to church, although faith was not really present at all at that point, when I was a afraid little boy, you know what she would pray? She would pray the Lord's Prayer. She'd say, well, there's this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Why? Because in the schools we'd always prayed it. Why as a young girl, every assembly, every morning in the elementary schools, they'd pray it. It was burnt into their heads. When Lady Diana was killed and there was a terrible, that terrible accident in Paris and all of the people gathered to mourn her death in Hyde Park, there was a moment to pause. And what did those tens of thousands of people do in the middle of Hyde Park? They prayed the Lord's Prayer. Where do you turn in times of problem? Where do you turn in times of difficulty? Where do you turn? Somehow the engine room of of Christianity, the mandate of the way that Jesus lived, the things that Jesus did are driven through the essence and the truths and the power of this prayer within our lives. And so it's this idea that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea that your kingdom will come to me and affect my life, it will affect others and it will powerfully affect the world. And what did the disciples say in in Luke chapter 11, verse 1? They said, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. And in Luke's gospel, he then taught them the Lord's Prayer. Teach us how to pray. Please teach us. I love that idea. They never asked Jesus, teach us how to preach. They never asked Jesus, teach us how to do those amazing things that you do. You know, you're amazing, Jesus. I'd quite like to learn a few things from you. They could have said, Jesus, teach us this. You know that little thing you did a while ago? Really teach us how to do that. You know, you take a big vat of water and then you do something and at the end of it, you've got amazing wine. Teach us how to do that, please. Make our lives a lot easier. We'll make a lot of money and we'll tithe 23% to the temple. Teach us how to do that. Jesus, you have turned water into wine and the church has been trying to turn wine back into water ever since. It's confusing. <laughs> Teach us. Oh, Jesus, you know that thing you do when you walk on water? Teach us how to walk. It'd save a fortune with boat fees. Honestly, I, I could just take my net, walk across. I could throw it down, see where the fish are, stand on top, bang, Fish everywhere. Fantastic. Teach us how to make our lives a lot easier in travel as well and all of those storms and things. I know, I know. Teach us that really special thing you do. You know, when you take a fish and you squeeze it slightly and its mouth opens and money pops out. (laughs) Please, teach me how to do that. No. Don't teach me how to turn water into wine. Don't teach me how to walk on water. Don't teach me how to get a slot machine working from fish. Teach me how to pray. 
Because when I watch you, Jesus, and I watch your rhythm, and I watch you leaving us and going into the hills, I watch you going into a lonely place, I watch you moving to a remarkable spot, and you leave us, you go and you commune with the Father. And so teach me how to pray, because the engine, the fuel, the difference between Religion and relationship is the power of our prayer life that changes our lives. So teach me. So when you go and pray, what do you pray, Lord? What's what it's all about? And wrapped up in this prayer is this message, this deepness, this strength that, you, that, that it has a power within it. It starts with our Father. Now preachers, we've preached this a lot. We've preached the very intimacy of the phrase our Father. We've preached the Abba, Abba Father. We've preached the fact that this was revolutionary in the church at the time or in the, in the, in the religious world that God was spoken about in such an intimate way. These days, as our our understanding of history and research keeps growing, the intimacy aspect is very clear, but it's not the predominant theme, according to N.T. Wright, the historian and Anglican theologian. He talks about that although, yes, we talk about intimacy, we talk about closeness, we talk about a child saying these words, and we've preached this out of the park and back again, he says, I want you to realize something, that this very phrase, our Father, would resonate with one event, and that was the event in Exodus, in Exodus 4, verse 23, when Moses comes before Pharaoh, and for the first time in Scripture, God declares that he is Father. And he says, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. I told you these are my children let them go so that they may worship me the very nature of beginning with our father links with exodus that describes the greatest liberation in the history of the Jews and links Jesus with liberation and what this prayer is about it is about liberating our lives in a freedom he will provide your needs he will forgive your sins. He will drive away evil in the world and indeed he will bring his kingdom to reign. And if you live in the reality of the liberation of the Lord's prayer, it transforms your life. And when we say our Father, we remember the slavery, we remember the exodus, we remember the pain, we remember making bricks without straw, we remember the taskmaster and all the agony that has taken place and we remind ourselves that we are a liberated people. You are not a slave, you are free. This is good news. And, and we've got to learn to live this prayer. This was Jesus' focus. This was Jesus' 
hope. This was the intimacy between Jesus and the Father. And we've got to live in this place. It's a bit like wearing, Jesus is our older brother, Hebrews says. It's a bit like wearing your older brother's clothes and they feel a little bit uncomfortable, don't they? I don't know if you've got an older brother, imagine you did. And you decide one day, I've got a younger brother, not an older brother. It would be a lot better story if I had a, an older brother. But I do. And putting these clothes on of this prayer and wearing this prayer, I'm thinking of my older brother Jesus. I'm thinking about the way that he, he would always trust God to provide all his needs. How he would always forgive even the most vilest of people that came against him. It feels a bit uncomfortable. I've got to live this. I've got to settle into the reality of this prayer. I need to go deep. I need to realize that it's about, it starts with about my relationship, my intimacy, my reality, that I have a father who loves me and cares for me. And as I start to pray this prayer, the words that come to mind, first word is boldness. There's a sense of divine boldness about this prayer that you should not be timid, but that you should be bold in coming to the Father as a liberated slave who has now received freedom. There is boldness in the very fabric of this narrative. There is hope in the very fabric of this prose and narrative that tells us, yes, there is hope. Give us Today, our daily bread, I am starving, I am poor, I have nowhere to turn, but God will come and meet with me. It has hope, it has liberation, boldness, hope, liberation running through it. And so when I come to pray, I realise, this is just the moment of where the computer is reloading, And this is a gaming series that I have no understanding why it's there. And our battle is against the enemy. <laughs> it comes up on all of our screens and, uh, and it's, it's the, uh, the programs and it's, it's, it's gone now. See, we, we clapped and the, and the dragon was rebuked. <laughs> Never a dull moment at, uh, at Willow Park Church. We are dragon slayers. <laughs> but, but there is a profound sense within this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, that reminds us that we are to, to believe it, we are to enter into it, that we are to Pray it with that hope and that liberation. I love that relationship that Jesus had between, between him and his father. This apprenticeship relationship of how he would uh, go to a lonely place in his humanity and seek the Lord and ask him to meet with him. And they would go and, and, and gain his instructions. John's gospel shows us this. Gain his wisdom, his instructions. 
And I feel that as I look at my Jesus and his rhythm and this apprenticeship, and this relationship, even in Garden of Gethsemane, he was, he was there praying, Father, not your will, but my will. If it's possible that this cup may pass me, you have that sense of interaction between a, a son and between a child and that relationship growing and, and, and developing. And I want us to, to realise that as we grow in prayer, as we look at Jesus, and maybe as he apprenticed with Joseph, he would use his word and his rocks and his nails, and he would say, okay, I've done this like this. And as a young boy, maybe 13 or so, starting his apprenticeship there with Joseph, he would lock and he'd come back to his father as many apprenticeships go. Look, um, How's that looking? How's that feeling? How is that, that going? And Joseph would come and say, well, why don't you adjust it here? Why don't you learn to, to approach this problem this way? Okay, because that's apprenticeship. That's learning to wear the clothes of the father when you're learning a trade and going deeper. And I think prayer is exactly the same. That, that I am always learning, I'm here, working here, and I'm praying about problems and difficulties and, and challenges in my own inner life. And I'm coming, I'm coming back to the Father and saying, Father, how should I handle this? What should I do? How should I approach this in my life? What are you saying to me? Then I go back and I adjust the word and the nails and, and work in, Lord, how should, I, how should this be? There's this relationship that is there in the prayer that moves us backwards and forwards as we learn to become a people of prayer. And as we learn to involve God into every area of our lives. So if there's boldness, if there's hope, if there's liberty, then there's learning. That we learn how to grow as younger brothers, watching our Jesus, wearing his clothes, growing in trying to be like our older brother, our saviour, our Lord of who we want to be like. Another aspect of this prayer that grows out of our Father. Our Father is our liberator. Our Father, we can come boldly. Our Father comes and, and helps us. Is that our Father, the liberator from, from slavery, is, um, is also our healer. Do you know there is healing power in this prayer? What do I mean? There's healing power in the areas of our soul where we find ourselves twisted and hurting and battling. <laughs> How many of us, when we understand the Father's love for us and we come to prayer because we are so worried about daily bread. We are so worried about our income. We're so worried about our 
debts. We're so worried about will we get through the next day. And you feel stressed out. You feel anxious. You feel desperate. You feel the pain and pressures of this world that we live in. But somehow when I come to the Lord with my daily needs and I come to my Father, He comes and reassures me that He will provide daily bread. That is healing to my soul. That is healing to my desperation, my general anxiety disorder, to my stressed out brain when I know that God will not fail me. It's healing. Isn't it healing when you come and you are vexed, you are hurt, you are let down, you are disappointed and yet you come to the Father and you bring your offence, your people that owe you, people that have hurt you, people that have wounded you and you're able to say, and I forgive us our debts, forgive me, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Isn't that healing? When you forgive the churning memories in your heart and your mind and you bring forgiveness into a situation, doesn't that bring healing? Doesn't healing come when I'm battling with my deepest, darkest, most dreadful temptations of evil, of all those hidden things below the waterline that we battle with and we fight with and we uh, can't talk about and we can't, we've got a, it's hard to bring to the surface. And yet when I come to my father, my father loves me unconditionally and I can tell him about the evil that delivers me, that I can bring the evil, I can bring the temptation to my liberating father who declares, let my children go so that they may worship me. It's healing in this prayer. And let's be honest, we all need a bit of healing. We need continuously to live in that place of intimate prayer of healing. Men, you know, we're excited about the men set free. A great response. It's not too late to sign up, but when I think about me and myself as a man, don't I spend a lot of my time worrying about my daily bread? Don't I spend as a man what I'm not earning as much as I should? I'm not bringing as much as I need to bring in. Everybody else seems more successful than I. But we forget. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about his will. It's all about learning that we bring down heaven on earth. And so often we become consumed that I should be a better man. But what you should be is a better man of God. You often hold grudges in the male psyche. Deep resentments that we don't even talk about. I don't know, ladies, if you know that. Men can get pretty resentful. 
But isn't that healing for me as a man that I, that I get rid of my grudges, that I get rid of my resentments, it becomes healing for me and I allow forgiveness to come? And how many hidden temptations in our world? And no revival has ever happened without the, also the men turning to prayer and praying. And I see in this prayer that liberation, that healing of me becoming an apprentice, of me learning to know how to pray. So one can use this prayer as a little boy prays it in a bed with his mother. One can use this prayer as a religious activity in a public event. Or one can use this prayer to drive us and to lead us. Teach us how to pray. Above all else, the way we join in with the Jesus revolution plan is to pray. The challenge of the revolution is to do it, which is the hardest bit, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, it's hard. I encourage the Saturday night congregation, I encourage you to set your clocks on your phones to 11.01 in the morning and let it beep at 11.01 through these days of prayer. And somebody was telling me last night, it was going off in a meeting and, and it was actually, the sound was going off. He had a, um, a song from U2. I still haven't found what I'm looking for and he's alarm. So he's in a meeting, HR meeting, it starts going off. To turn it off. It reminds him, 11 verse 1, Lord Jesus teaches how to pray. The challenge is to do it. The challenge is to get to the prayer room. The challenge is to spend a day. The challenge is to step into that area. Lord, teach us to pray. And the commander of the revolution is Jesus. So how could you take this? What could you do? Well, maybe... As we've done this morning, we've looked at our Father and the aspects of that Father. But then on Sunday, you could think about our Father. On Monday, hallowed be thy name. On Tuesday, your kingdom come. On Wednesday, give us this day. Forgive us. Deliver us from evil. The kingdom, the power and the glory. Which comes from the Anglican prayer. Take some time to say, Lord, what is my next step in prayer? How can I go deeper? How can I be the apprentice that you want me to be? How can I wear the clothes of this prayer, even though they feel a little uncomfortable? And how can I engage in it at a deeper, deeper level? Everything that Jesus ministered out of, I believe, ministered out of this prayer. A sense of fatherhood, a sense of kingdom, a sense of God's provision, a sense of God's forgiveness, a sense of God's deliverance. This was his mission. This is our life. This is our prayer as the saints of God today. Let's bow together.
Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and thank you for this prayer. And as we start to look at the 52 words that have changed the world, we remember that this is a heart of our Father, the Liberator, from Exodus. And we remember that we've been liberated, that even as you took your carpentry and held nails and wood, that you would become the great liberator with another set of nails and another set of wood. And having been apprenticed and walked with the Heavenly Father, you gave your life to redeem us and to save us and to set us free. And so, Lord, we pray that this prayer would ring in our ears, that this prayer would come off our lips, that the reality of this prayer would swirl around our hearts. We all need healing, Lord. Healing about anxiety, about daily bread. Healing about not worrying about our world, but looking towards the kingdom to come. Healing where there's brokenness and unforgiveness and bitterness and pain. Healing where there's evil that afflicts us where we need terrific deliverance. Father, help us to wear the suit, the clothing of this prayer and walk in it and act it and apprenticeship it out. And be the sons and daughters that we are meant to be in the healing power of Jesus. Guide us, I pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.